Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. Thank you, Miss Ginger. We're so blessed to have you playing the piano and thrilling our hearts and lifting us to heaven. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. And to chapter 20. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 17 through uh, 28. Matthew chapter 20. Beginning at verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. 
But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who were great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for men. Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, your compassion and mercy. For the blessed hope of life eternal in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O Lord, for your word. We acknowledge and believe and accept it as your truth. We hold it up, Lord, as the standard for life that teaches us about you and that teaches us what it means to be a child of God. And today, as we study your holy word, Father, we pray that you be our teacher through God the Holy Spirit and to the honor and to the glory of the Lord Jesus. We pray for anyone here today who has not made it a commitment to accept Jesus as Savior, that today they'll come to know him. Lord, for struggling Christians, struggling with health issues, financial issues, family issues, loneliness, sadness, grief, and all of the other things that we struggle with in this life, we pray, dear Father, that today they'll find rest in the Lord Jesus, comfort and peace as only you can give. Lord, we worship you and we praise you. Speak to us now, O Lord, out of your holy word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, giving thanks. Amen. <coughs> Miss uh, Ginger plays that piano so well, and so many of the beautiful pieces that were written by the great composers. You know, there are many different, many different types of, or definitions, I guess you could say, or many different people who meet the category of, of being great at something. Beethoven, Mozart, Chopin, and Liszt in terms of the, uh, the classical uh, pianists and also uh, composers of beautiful, beautiful symphonies. And then you have Verdi and Puccini and the likes with the beautiful operas that, that they've written. And of course, the Shakespeare and the poetry. They're all great, great. But the Bible has something to say about true greatness. And so we look here and in this 
20th chapter at verse 17 through 19 here, we see that Jesus once again reminds the disciples and he instructs them a little further regarding events that are about to occur in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the scene of the crime. And you need to understand that the crucifixion of Jesus was not only the crime of the century, it was the crime of all of human history. And while, yes, his crucifixion is in the will of God, it was no less a crime because he was innocent. And we and the rest of our fellow human beings were the guilty ones. The Apostle Peter, you'll recall, tried to talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem. Remember, he, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. And Jesus' response was, Get thee behind me, Satan. For you do not savor, that is, you do not respect or honor the will of the Father. And then Jesus explained, he, he elaborated a little bit more in this particular telling of future events. He shared with them that he was going to be betrayed. And we all know that one of the twelve, Judas, would betray him for 30 pieces of silver for money. Oh, and sadly, many Christians today, instead of trusting in their Lord for their security, they trust in their wealth. The religious leaders, they plot and they set the crime in motion. And why? Why? Because they are jealous of Jesus. They're jealous of the following that continues to grow. They hear about the healings. And they even hear about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And what do they do? They plot to kill not only Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus. Because he is a living example of the power of Christ. He is a living witness and testimony to the fact that Jesus the Lord is in fact Lord of both life and death. And so they have to put not only Jesus to death, but also Lazarus. And isn't it interesting? You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were religious groups. They didn't necessarily get along with each other because their theology was, was vastly different. <laughs> but they had a common enemy who really wasn't their enemy, the Lord Jesus. And so they, they come together to plot. But there was another group of people there, the Romans, the Gentiles. And the, the Romans at this time were made up of many different ethnic groups because Rome spread across Europe and down into Asia Minor. And they would recruit, as if you were, they would recruit various people from all these different ethnic groups. And they would serve in the military. And so the Romans were there 
and the religious leaders get together with the, the Romans, and they're enlisted to complete the crime. Now, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who was the governor, basically, of, of, uh, of the area, he has this to his credit, not much else, but he did have this to his credit. He said, I, I wash my hands of this incident. I find no fault in it. And he was right. He was correct. There was no fault in the Lord Jesus because he is the perfect son of God. But Pilate could have released him and he chose not to. But Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that God will bring life out of death because even though he'll be crucified, yet he will rise again. We serve a living Savior. There was a book that came out so many years ago. God is dead. No, he is not dead. God is not dead. God has always been and he shall always be God. There is but one God. And there is but one Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. So, moving on. The question. And the question is actually not just for... I put Miss Zebedee there because I didn't know her last name. <laughs> Alright. But we believe it's uh, Salome. Salome, however you might pronounce that. And there is strong belief, or tradition has it, that she was actually Mary's sister. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so she may possibly have been Jesus' aunt. And you see, James and John shared a very special relationship. They were his half-cousins. And so... There's a tradition for that. You, that may be new to you. But notice, she comes to Jesus on behalf of her two sons. Now, there's also strong belief that James and John put her up to this. Okay? They said, you know, Mom, they, they were, you know, banking on that special relationship, right? Well, you know, we're in the family. <laughs> We're in the family. Maybe if you go and speak to him, he'll listen to you. I remember as a boy, <laughs> you know, making certain requests of my mom, but don't tell dad. <laughs> Please don't tell him. <laughs> well, notice what the request is. A place of honor. See, Jesus had been talking about his kingdom, and he had, he had earlier told them that they were going to sit on the 12 thrones, right? Judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel. But they didn't want just that. They wanted a special place, one on the right and one on the left. The most important place. <laughs> and notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't scold her. He simply says, you don't know what you're asking. You really don't know what you're asking. I forget uh, who it was that uh, said this many years ago, a, 
a theologian, he said, we ought to be grateful to God that he doesn't answer all of our prayers the way that we ask them, or else we would be ruined at our own request. Because oftentimes, we do not realize what we actually are asking for. And he turns to the, to the sons, James and John, and he says, are you able? Are you able to drink the cup and to, to be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with? Now, what's he referring to? He's referring to his crucifixion. He's referring to what he's going to suffer. And he mentioned earlier that when they go to Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be scourged. That is whipped with this, this, this whip called the, the cat of nine tails that had bone and, and metal and all kinds of other chips uh, sewn into it so that when it, it struck a person's back, it just ripped their skin, their flesh. And he was beaten with this before he went to the cross. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he was, he was so beaten that he was unrecognizable when he went to the cross. But they plucked his beard off of his face. Isaiah, the prophet, said his, his visage was so marred that he didn't even look like a man at the time that he got to the cross. Are you able? Now, they didn't have any idea what they were saying when they said, oh yes, we're able. We're able. We're able to drink the cup. We're able to be baptized with that baptism. And so as a result, out of their own mouths, he said, well, then you will drink the cup and you will be baptized with that baptism. James was the first of the 12 of the apostles. We're excluding Judas. Because Judas, you'll recall, went out and hanged himself. But James was the first of the twelve to be martyred. He was martyred by Herod. And John, you'll, you'll recall that John is often referred to as John the Beloved. He was tortured. He was boiled in a cauldron of oil. And he was also exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And it was there that he received the vision that we know as the book of Revelation. And tradition has it that he's the only one of the 12 that lived to a ripe old age of somewhere between 90 and 100 years old. The tradition has it that he, that he passed, he went home to be with the Lord there in the city of Ephesus. But he suffered as well. And notice that Jesus doesn't grant what they request. He doesn't grant it. The Father's will must be respected and fulfilled. You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, chose to come down to this earth 
and subordinated himself to the will of the Father. Even in the garden, you'll recall that there in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed and he said, Father, if there is any way, any way for your will to be accomplished, then let this cup pass. But nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. And so Jesus just simply tells them, you don't know what you asked for, and I can't give it to you because it is given to those to whom it has been prepared by the Father. We're moving on to our next point here. Jesus hears the other ten. Because the other ten, <laughs> when they hear what James and John requested, they get upset. Now, initially I had uh, <laughs> tension run hot, and I thought, well, I probably shouldn't have that in there. But tension builds among the disciples. Strong displeasure. As a matter of fact, the word in the Greek actually means indignant. They became quite upset with James and John. So Jesus de-escalates things. And then he defines true greatness. Now, why do you suppose the other ten got upset with James and John? Maybe they were thinking about asking Jesus for those special places. <laughs> right? Maybe they got upset because James and John beat them to the punch, you know. But what does Jesus do? He calls them to himself and then he defines the world's definition of greatness. There are at least two different types of, of power or authority. There's positional power. So someone is appointed or promoted to a particular position. And by virtue of that position, they are granted a certain amount of power or authority. And they then rule or manage over others or particular, a particular organization or company. But one of the biggest mistakes that leaders tend to make, that is newly appointed leaders, is when they go into an organization and are appointed as leader, they begin to make all kinds of changes without ever consulting the employees or the others who work at that particular company or in that organization. And then, generally, what happens is the employees will voice their, their uh, displeasure, if you will. And sometimes those folks will, uh, the leaders will say, well, I'm the boss, and this is the way it is, and if you don't like it, there's the door. You probably have heard that, or maybe you've even experienced that. That's the kind of power that the world elevates. Now, the world has learned something about leadership because they do say that that's not an effective leadership style. It's called an authoritarian or an autocrat. 
they actually promote a more democratic form of leadership where you consult others, which is wiser, generally speaking, but not always. But Jesus is talking about leadership in a time when if you didn't do what you were told, you would lose your head. And we don't mean, you know, lose your emotion and such. You would literally lose your head. They would cut your head off. But he says, it shall not be so among you. What is the biblical standard of greatness? Now I remember when I was a kid, there was a fighter by the name of Cassius Clay. And he was a great fighter, there's, there's no doubt about it. Dance like a butterfly and sting like a bee, he would say, right? But the one thing he would also say, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. Well, at the time, he was the greatest fighter, the greatest boxer. But did he have to tell everybody about that? And then you remember the announcer, Howard Cosell? <laughs> and boy, they would go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But sadly, sadly, Cassius converted to Islam. To Islam. And we had a little discussion this morning in our Sunday school class. And remember this. There was only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there are three Abrahamic religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But only one of those, only one of those promotes the complete and total an annihilation of the other two, and that is Islam. And whether a king or a president tells you that Islam is equal with Christianity and Judaism, that is wrong. It's not correct. There is but one way, and one way only, to heaven, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the message that we as Christians preach. Now we also believe, because the Bible teaches, that Israel will be saved. And never make the mistake of thinking that the church has replaced Israel. No, we have not. The church is the church, and Israel is Israel. And the day is coming when the focus will turn from the church to Israel. Do not make the mistake of thinking that the church has replaced Israel. It is not. But Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. That is, you will not lord it over others. Service is the mark of true greatness, humility. Humble service. When I was an assistant principal... Uh, working over at Manch Elementary School, the principal there, Donna Barber, I would go into her office in the morning and I would, I would say, how may I serve you today? And she would say, shut up, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I meant it. I was there to serve. And then when I eventually became a principal, I would, I would tell the kids, you are the most important people at the school. The school was built for you. It wasn't built for me. It wasn't built for the teachers. 
The school was built for you, and we are your servants. We are here to serve you. That's what's meant by that term, public servant. Jesus says greatness is marked by humility, humble service. Now, here's a question for you, because we kind of, uh, in the introduction to our lesson this morning, the event where Jesus washed the disciples' feet was discussed. And I've asked this question before. Let's see if you remember the answer. Why did Jesus wash the apostles' feet? Some say, well, because he was teaching them about humility. No. No. Yes, there is a lesson there. There is a lesson of humility there, but that wasn't why he actually washed their feet. It's more practical. That's right. He washed their feet because their feet were dirty. Because in that age, they wore sandals. And as they walked, the dust from, from the roadway would dirty their feet. And then when they came into the house, usually they had a servant at the door who would wash their feet. And in this particular instance, there wasn't one. So what does Jesus do? He grabs a basin of water and a towel and he washes their feet because their feet were dirty. And in so doing, he lived out the teaching of service and humility. The willingness of one to serve the needs of others. Well, moving on here. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of a humble servant who pleases God the Father. We ask this question and we hear this question asked over and over and over again. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for your life? What is the will of God for our life? Well, what aspect of God's will is for us to be humble servants, following in the example of our Lord Jesus? So you see someone at the, at the grocery store that maybe needs some help? God's will would say, help them. Even if it's just taking the shopping cart and putting it in that little, you know, the little corral that they have. <coughs> Put it in there for them. The other day, and understand why I'm sharing this with you. So I was over at the, the Walmart down there, and I had taken the shopping cart and I, you know, put it in the, the little corral there for all the other shopping carts. And I noticed a lady had left her purse in the shopping cart, or in a shopping cart. And I saw that. And then I thought, oh my goodness, what shall I do? Now the reason I asked that question, I thought, well, I thought, should I open the purse to, to see who it belongs to so that I could you know, contact them? Or should I take it inside and give it to the people at customer service? And I thought, but what if the people at customer service 
Hard hums. And then I thought, yeah, but then what if I'm opening this purse and somebody comes <laughs> off and thinks I'm trying to take something out, you know? <laughs> so I just, you know, pray. I said, well, Lord, what should I do? I said, well, I'll do my part. And I, I went on ahead and went into the store, went to customer service. And so there were three ladies there at customer service. And why is that important? They witnesses, all right? And I said, here. Someone left this purse out in the parking lot. So one of the ladies said, oh, I'll take it and I'll put it in the, in the lockup in the safe there. And we'll wait for the person to come. But I got to thinking, man, the thought that the people in the store might not be honest. Oh, how far right? we've fallen. Notice what Jesus says here. The Son of Man did not come to be served. You notice that? He didn't come to be served. He didn't come to be waited on hand and foot and all of that. Like so many people like to be waited on. Now I have to say that as a, as a boy, I was pretty spoiled in that particular department. My mother was a chef. I had five sisters. And we had a certain order where we, we sat at the table. And my mother served us. And I never had to get up to go and get something. It was always served. To the point that I, you know, we would have to say, I can't eat anymore. I can't eat anymore. Please, I can't. But Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to fulfill the, the Father's will through his life and death. That is, in his life, he fulfilled the Father's will. What he taught, how he interacted with other people, how he, he healed others, and the prayers that he prayed. And we've mentioned this before, that, that Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed for us before we were even born. You can read that in the scripture. How amazing. Think about it, that Jesus actually prayed for you. He prayed for us. And the Bible says that he, he continuously prays for us. He intercedes on our behalf. And then he went to the cross. No, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. There, that last point, to serve. Our Lord Jesus Christ paid the ransom. And that word was mentioned in our Sunday school lesson this morning also. But so oftentimes we just read right over that word. It's such an important word. He paid the ransom. Several synonyms for ransom. To rescue. To redeem. Right, that it redeemed now I love to proclaim it, right? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It means redeemed. It also means to save. To save. <coughs> we often ask the question, are you saved? The person says, Save from what? Save from yourself. Save from sin. Save from death. Hell. 
because hell is real. Jesus paid the ransom. And today, ransoms are paid for those who have been kidnapped. Now, do you know that in the Bible, the Bible teaches that kidnapping is a capital offense? As a matter of fact, it even goes on to say, you put that person to death, but because in so doing, you will reduce the number of times that this will occur. When someone realizes that they're going to be put to death if they're caught, they'll think twice or maybe 27 times before they actually commit the crime. Jesus paid the ransom in blood. Many, the word many actually is used to refer to all who accept him. That is, all who place their faith and their trust in him. That's how that word is used there. It means the payment paid for the release of a prisoner. People pay the ransom for one of their family members or a dear friend who's been kidnapped. And in a sense, we have all been kidnapped. But you've probably heard of the Stockholm Syndrome. Let me just read the definition to you. Stockholm Syndrome. Feelings of trust or affection felt in many cases of kidnapping or hostage-taking by a victim toward their captor. Ransom also means the buying out of captivity. The Bible says that, that people are held captive by the devil. They're held captive by their sin. They're held captive because they enjoy being in that particular life situation. They're held captive by these false philosophies. They're held captive by the confusion that is found in the world and the world's philosophies. And we've said many times, and we will repeat it many times, God is not confused. God knows the difference between right and wrong, and his children are to know the difference between right and wrong, and they are to share it, and they are to preach it without apology. We are to tell the truth, and we are to differentiate between that which is right and that which is wrong. Jesus paid the ransom for our sin. He redeemed us. Now the Bible teaches that great is the Lord, and you can read this over in Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Greatness. Well, what do we learn from these passages? First, Sometimes parents do not understand what their requests involve. We all have a tendency to be very presumptuous. You know, sometimes parents, they have these certain dreams for their kids, not realizing that the dream or the desire that's most important is the dream that God has for that child. 
and the dreams that the child has in their heart. Secondly, there are differing definitions of greatness. You can be a, you know, a great secretary. You can be a great doctor. You can be a great nurse. You can be a, a great landscaper. You can be a great golfer. Amen? But the kind of greatness that the Bible refers to is greatness through humble service. Service that is pleasing to God. The motive and the heart attitude. Last week we looked at that passage where all of those guys worked different amounts of time, but at the end they all got equal pay. And some were upset because they felt that they were entitled to more. And Jesus said, but we had a contract that I've met the contract. I haven't done you any wrong. Why are you upset that I'm being gracious to these who have worked less? You see, God is a gracious and giving God. He gives us what we do not deserve. And lastly, our Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal example of true greatness. He is Lord. And over in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it states that he, even though he's equal with the Father, he didn't consider that equality something to be grasped or held on to. Like, I don't deserve to go down there and die for these miserable sinners. I'm the Son of God. I'm perfect. I'm without sin. Why would I die and give my life for these miserable, immoral, sinful people? They don't deserve it. That is not what he said. That's not what he had in his heart. No, he went to that cross with his arms stretched out wide saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal example of true greatness. So you ask the question, how then can I serve? Here are some examples, and we'll do these quickly because we're out of time. You can serve on a committee in the church. You can serve as a Sunday school teacher. You can serve in a particular ministry of the church. You can be a prayer warrior. How about this? How about becoming an, an official member of the church so that you can serve? How about singing the choir? I sing that song every week, don't I? <laughs> like a broken record, that's what my mom would say. <laughs> like a broken record. <laughs> Yeah. I guess it'd be like a broken CD these days. <laughs> How about as a preacher? Maybe the Lord is calling some of you to preach, to teach, a missionary, a writer. How about a helper, just a helper? How about someone who distributes the papers or makes phone calls or sends out cards and letters? I wish Miss Janice was here today. For years and years and years, she would send out all those cards to people who were ill and, and on their birthday, an anniversary. And, 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 and oftentimes, people would come up and they'd say, oh, thank you for the card. <laughs> they'd be thanking me. I'd say, oh, oh you're welcome, but I, I'm not the one who mailed it out. <laughs> okay. Really, it was Janice or Cheryl or some of the others. 
Well, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. The invitation is the Lord's invitation to you. If you have a decision to make, don't wait until the song is over. We'll be out of time. <laughs> make the decision while we're singing. Let's stand, please. You come. You want to join? Come forward. You want to accept Jesus as Savior? Come forward. You want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Come forward and make your decision now. Miss Ginger, let's go ahead and be here. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.